TikTok is an international version of a Chinese app called Douyin, both owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance. Both of these apps, which are mostly the same except for some differences in user interface and algorithms and the sort of content that is favored by those algorithms, present a simple enough concept. A social network oriented around short-form video content that folks are served up based on what the app's respective algorithms decide will be most interesting to them. So this is not an entirely novel concept. YouTube has had a similar sort of thing going for decades, and other social networks like Instagram and Twitter have been providing users with an algorithmically generated stream of stuff for a long time as well. In those cases, primarily photos and text content until recently, but still generally the same idea. TikTok's seeming secret sauce, though, is that it has a user interface that drops people right into the action. So rather than having to build up a profile and online presence, you can download TikTok and just start watching videos. And from that moment, based on how you click and tap and what you watch and for how long, you will be served content that should align with your interests, at least in the sense that you gravitate toward certain types of short-form video content in ways that are legible to this software. And those offerings will then become more and more accurate to what you are likely to engage with with every new watch. And that jump-in ability, plus an algorithm that just seems incredibly good at what it does, has made TikTok in particular a sensation, both in the sense that it's become wildly popular in a very short period of time compared to its competitors, achieving 150 million monthly active users and about 400 million downloads of the app in the U.S. in just a few years, which is astounding, making it the most downloaded social app in the period between 2018 and 2023, 2018 being when it merged with a lip-syncing app called Musical.ly in the U.S. So it's impressive in that sense and in the sense of being a business that is expected to generate more than $11 billion in ad revenue in the U.S. alone by 2024, which is still shy of what YouTube and Meta's apps pull in, but way more than Snapchat or Pinterest or Twitter all of which is arguably good for the company and the folks behind it, but less good for all of those competitors. It's also less good if you are in the U.S. government and worrying that the Chinese government, which tends to be entangled with Chinese businesses in a way that dramatically surpasses the same relationship between other governments and the businesses they regulate, it's less good if you're worried that this entanglement might allow the Chinese government to insert Chinese propaganda and values into international conversation and culture culture, poisoning the intellectual well, basically, but also maybe shifting opinions in the Chinese government's preferred direction when it comes to how people vote and conflict and things like that. But they also worry that these apps might serve as a surveillance platform for the same entities. And that surveillance concern is justified. Journalists within the U.S. have already been spied on through this app, though ByteDance claims it was a rogue action by employees who have now been fired. And that has amplified these concerns because, well, this app is on hundreds of millions of devices. And that is a lot of trackable data that could theoretically be used to hunt down dissidents, blackmail or threaten people, or just collect really accurate maps of where people go or which devices might be easily hacked for use in the event of a future conflict between the U.S. and China. 
Other countries, especially NATO countries, but not exclusively, have also voiced concerns about this, and bans on the installation of TikTok on government and business-provided hardware have become common. There are also some outright national bans, like the one implemented in India a while back, and more similar bans of various shapes and sizes and potencies might be on the horizon. And more outright bans would be a true bummer for ByteDance and the Chinese government. They are especially concerned right now about the seeming drumbeat in that direction within U.S. conversation. But it's also a bummer for folks who make stuff on TikTok, as part of what has made this app so popular is not just the app itself and how it's set up and serves up content, but the nature and quality of that content. The best algorithms in the world will not help an app become popular if no one is making good stuff that people actually want to watch and then sharing it on that app. Thus, these concerns about a popular nationwide ban in the U.S. is causing a lot of turmoil within the video creator community, as not only would that significantly hinder a platform many people enjoy using, but it would also kill off, maybe overnight, a serious revenue stream for many of these people. What I would like to talk about today are some concerns and opportunities popping up around the content-making revenue-sharing space and why it's a weird moment for pretty much everyone doing this kind of work right now. You're listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. The article I'd like to start with today is from CNBC News, and it's entitled, In the three-way battle between YouTube, Reels, and TikTok, creators are not counting on a big payday. As I mentioned in the intro, TikTok is an attention-grabbing machine, sparking all sorts of new careers and celebrities and trends and memes and you name it. A lot is happening on that platform. That said, while a double handful of people manage to make millions of dollars from the content they post to TikTok, as of early 2023, the TikTok Creator Fund only paid out something like 2 to 4 cents per thousand views. In practice, that means you can earn something like 20 to 40 dollars when you reach a million views. Enough to pay for a meal, not a month's rent, or even a bag of groceries, probably. This is why many creators opt for brand partnerships, which can pay out significantly more, depending on how many followers you have and views you get. But sponsorships are tricky, requiring additional effort on the back end and necessitating that you tether your personal brand and that of your social channel to another company, which isn't always possible or desirable for you and the type of content you want to make. Thus, these payouts from TikTok are still ostensibly important because they are the default payout from the platform itself. And that figure, what they offer, isn't very good. It's not enough to build a business around and not enough for most people who use the platform to make anything at all. If you accrue a significant audience, though, the numbers start to look a little bit better. On TikTok, folks with more than 100,000 followers can net a 50-50 advertising revenue split with the company, which is great for the fortunate few who achieve those lofty follower heights, though not so much for the vast majority of other creators on the platform. Other networks have attempted to grab a share of the short-term video creator pie as well, in part by using their own creator funds and advertising revenue split deals as leverage. 
Meta debuted and started to heavily push its Reels short-form video format in 2020, and it didn't even conceal the fact that it was essentially just ripping off TikTok and trying to grab some of their audience, like they successfully did with Instagram Stories, which copied Snapchat's successful social posting format. And the specifics of this have changed over the years, but as of early 2023, Meta offered 55% of ad revenue to creators for in-stream ads on Instagram and Facebook Reels. YouTube launched its TikTok ripoff around the same time, taking advantage of India's ban on TikTok in September of 2020 to release their beta of YouTube Shorts there, followed by a beta release in the US in March of 2021. This format did well enough that it announced plans to make the feature available alongside other sorts of YouTube content in their smart TV app in late 2022, and it started releasing shorts-only data at the end of that same year, as the numbers had become impressive enough that they were willing to divulge them separately from all their other YouTube figures. As of early 2023, YouTube offers a 45% revenue share for creators making videos for their shorts platform, which is slightly less generous than the 50% they offer folks making longer-form video content for their traditional YouTube service. But their threshold for joining is also less steep, which means more people can make money, even if not much on average, when compared to other services. They only require folks have 1,000 subscribers and 10 million views to start earning revenue on YouTube Shorts videos, compared to the aforementioned 100,000 followers TikTok requires, and the comparably humble 10,000 followers and 600,000 minutes of content viewed in the past two months that Meta demands if you want to start an ad revenue-sharing relationship with them. Twitch, which is owned by Amazon, and which is arguably a competitor in this space as well, though they tend to be more oriented toward live streaming and care less about short-form videos, and to be more heavily weighed toward video game streaming content than other sorts of content, they offer a 50-50 split with streamers as well, while their top performers get a more favorable 70-30 split for the first $100,000 they earn. So that's the general economic playing field here, which, summed up, could probably be described as TikTok continuing to kill it and arguably being the most culturally relevant short-form video platform in many parts of the world right now, despite not offering the most favorable payout deal compared to clones made by other big tech companies. But others, like YouTube's Shorts and Meta's Reels, which it deploys on both its Instagram and Facebook platforms, have been catching up, in part because they've been throwing more money and resources at doing so, and in part because right now especially, folks who have been growing their audiences and businesses on TikTok alone are beginning to realize that their position might be precarious as bans and potential bans become more common globally. This broader storyline is interesting in part because of the cultural relevance of online short-form video content. Folks of all age groups still view more long-form streaming content on YouTube and on Netflix and on similar services than short-form video. But not by much, with much younger audiences already pivoting more toward TikTok-length videos and slightly away from YouTube, favoring the former more than the latter for the first time in 2020, when adults, according to the best available data, in the U.S. spent about 39 minutes per day on TikTok, 44 on YouTube, and 60 on Netflix on average. 
That has changed in the past two years, with 2022 numbers remaining stable for Netflix at 60 minutes and increasing a little for YouTube, gaining two minutes a day to hit a total of 46 minutes on average. But TikTok jumped a lot more for adults, leaping from 39 to 46 minutes a day, up to the same level as YouTube. And that is expected to grow still further in 2023, while the other two, Netflix and YouTube, mostly stagnate. Numbers are expected to be similar across reels and shorts at a relatively lower level but still increasing, suggesting that this is a move toward short-form video and not just from other offerings toward TikTok. After all, at this point, although the algorithms are a bit different and the UI and platform culture is distinct, the tools and offerings between these short-form video platforms are pretty similar. And that's by design, but also because makers on one also generally make stuff for the others, or just share what they made for TikTok on Reels and Shorts in parallel. Because why not? And because that allows them to take advantage of the payout options and opportunities and distinct audiences across all three. This is a broader habit shift, then. Not just a struggle between a handful of big tech companies including one that has a macro-scale international intrigue and espionage storyline weighing it down to some degree. This is also a story that touches on what's happening in the world of artificial intelligence, especially the big 2023 story of the emergence of large language models and their application for generating compelling and often convincing images, audio, video, games, and text to the point where the entire tech industry and all the industries touching the tech industry, which is most of them at least a little, are rewiring themselves so that no one misses this boat which is by some estimates at least, the vessel that is sailing towards the future. The longevity of all this has of course yet to be seen. This could be just another trend like crypto, but this underlying tech has many people that are running many companies and the folks running the governments that regulate those companies, expecting it to become the next internet or operating system or smartphone or electricity. They expect it to become the next fundamental thing that shapes all the other things we will be seeing and using and doing and buying five or ten years from now. And most immediately, we are already seeing just gobs of content across all mediums being created and shared, leveraging these tools. Part of the reason for the scale of this creation is that this is a neato whiz-bang type of tech that everyone wants to play with and explore the edges of after they hear about it. There is a legitimate chance that if you go fiddle around with these tools, you will be the first person to try something new using an often staggeringly capable piece of software. And that is a compelling offering all into itself. But we're also seeing this volume of creativity and creation because these tools have the capacity to augment and replace folks who make all sorts of things. And that means, for instance, people making podcasts could use these tools for research, to write their own scripts, to come up with questions for the people they're interviewing, to edit their work, to create convincing voiceovers, to produce the audio they record themselves, and to help them distribute the resulting audio, creating transcripts from an audio file and deciding which portions of an episode automatically to snip into social shareable tidbits that'll be likely to get people to subscribe. They can do all that and save a bunch of time and effort, or possibly, and this is something that's already being done in this space, they can create an entire podcast beginning to end without needing a human in the loop at all. 
Most versions of this right now do require a human to move AI-generated content from place to place and to get everything set up, but in experimental contexts, it is already possible to have an AI dream up an idea for a show come up with content for that show all by itself, create audio versions of that content, video versions in some cases too, and to get all that audio out the door, ready to be listened to, complete with marketing materials available in your podcasting app. We are at a moment then in which some of us will be newly empowered, others replaced, or facing the possibility of being replaced. And that is scary, but it's also an opportunity for folks who use these tools as exoskeletons to augment their own capabilities, and for people who want to use them, like disembodied robots, doing all kinds of creative, in the sense of creating things, work for them on a mostly or entirely automated basis. What this means, among other things, is that shortly, and this is already the case for some industries and tasks, but it could become even more the case more broadly soon, Shortly, it will be passively possible to make a nearly infinite quantity of just about any type of content at essentially zero cost. And most of that content, lacking some guidance or very powerful processors to use with these AI tools, will be terrible. But that terrible content, alongside some truly good stuff, and a whole lot of mediocre but passable stuff, could begin to flood all of these platforms in the near future. And we don't really know what will happen if and when we reach that point. Again, we're seeing the early days of this already, but it hasn't yet become common and cheap enough to use these tools in this way for this type of content. It's mostly just interesting gimmicks and some genuinely useful augmentations at this point. Right now, this is interesting and neat, but it could rapidly become so normalized and accessible and inexpensive that there are mere days or weeks between the moment when the floodgates truly open in a real way and when the majority of content being produced every day and published across all of these platforms is being generated by AI systems rather than humans. The incentives we currently have in place, including those aforementioned partner programs and ad revenue sharing payouts and even sponsorship deals, make this sort of future almost inevitable. You might only make two to four cents per thousand views on TikTok, but if you can churn out a thousand videos a second and upload them almost as quickly, that means you make two to four cents every second with only a single view on each video. And if it's cheap enough to churn out and upload those videos, the economics of this situation will incentivize a lot of people to generate a lot of content in a very short period of time, aiming for scale over quality almost always. Because it takes human beings quite a while to produce content compared to AI tools, and because these AI will likely only become speedier in this regard as time goes by, it's possible to imagine a near-future scenario in which our modern airwaves, these online platforms, are just jam-packed with this sort of content. A million new videos made by AI posted to TikTok for every one video made by a human and posted to the same. This could, of course, impact streaming services like Netflix, too, as networks and producers of shows and films are already mixing these tools into their processes in various ways, and it's just a step up from there to create entirely or nearly entirely AI-generated content ready for viewing. 
they have more guardrails in place since they don't allow users to just upload whatever they want to their platforms, all of that content immediately available for binging. But the point still stands that TV studios, video game studios, authors, podcasters, people making silly dance videos for TikTok could all soon be impacted by this. And in interesting and useful and horrible and industry collapsing ways simultaneously. The degree to which this is scary will depend on your current relationship with these platforms, how much you are reliant on them for your income and or employment, and honestly the quality of the AI content that ends up being created, as this transition, if it happens as I just described, could theoretically lead to a golden age of new stuff generated by bots and by humans using bots, and by people consciously avoiding using these bot tools and making different sorts of stuff than they would typically make as a consequence of that choice to stand out. We don't know what we'll get, though. We do know that whatever we get, we will probably be getting just a silly amount of it because these tools seem to enable that type of bulk generation of content. And that will change, one way or another, the dynamics of these networks, as they are currently run by folks who produce videos filled with book reviews and funny dances and educational content and impressive feats of strength. And those people, and there are about 207 million content creators globally, according to recent data, they may still be able to carve out a living as their online homes are flooded with competition, stealing away finite, precious seconds and views that users might otherwise spend with their videos. Some of those AI-generated videos coming from ever-growing libraries of such things produced by individuals and companies, some produced maybe on the fly by TikTok itself for each individual user based on what the algorithms say that user will enjoy most. This shift might also just reduce the size of the pot, giving most of the also finite money to accounts that are spinning out endless amounts of AI content. And that could then lead to entirely different network dynamics, but it could also lead to a stampede of people away from these networks, a wave of humanity leaving these platforms for more interesting or maybe just more human, online or maybe even offline, social and content consumption locales. The book I'd like to recommend today is called The Grid, Electrical Infrastructure for a New Era by Gretchen Backe. This book does an excellent job of describing something that could be quite boring and niche in an interesting way and explaining the significance of something that often blends into the background of our everyday experience, the electrical grid, and showing why and how it is connected to some of the most important issues of our times. And among those issues is the fact that although globally we are pivoting toward deploying more renewable energy infrastructure and actually doing a pretty decent job of it we could be going faster certainly and that would be ideal but we're doing a decent job with what we've got and considering all the political issues that stand in the way of doing so but something else that is standing in the way of us moving as quickly as we might is our outdated grid and this is especially true in the United States, which this book focuses on, but it's true to varying degrees in other countries as well. And there's a whole lot that goes into 
upgrading and expanding the electrical grid and recreating and refurbishing it in such a way that it can do all the things that we're kind of going to need it to do if we're going to make the best possible use of this new infrastructure we're deploying and all the additional infrastructure we would like to deploy. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of The Grid by Gretchen Backey. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcript for this and every episode of the podcast at letsknowthings.com. You can find my other news-centric podcast by searching for One Sentence News or by going to onesentencenews.com. And feel free to reach out and say howdy on social media. I'm at Colin is my name on Twitter and Instagram and just Colin Wright on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week.